Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. It's your friend Rick from Blind, and I have the honor of introducing Matt Fitzgerald, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at TEND. TEND is the early stage company disrupting the dental industry through tech and hospitality touchpoints. Its studios are equipped with state-of-the-art technology, offering general dentistry, orthodontics, cosmetic treatments, oral surgery, and even handles emergencies. He led the brand's launch in 2019, overseeing its growth from the opening of its first location in New York City to several new market entries across the country. Uh, Ten actually now has 23 locations in five major metros. Before Tent, Matt was a senior vice president of marketing at HelloFresh's U.S. division, where he grew revenue from $10 million to over $1 billion in just four years, making it the number one meal kit in the country. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Uh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Um, you have like such a killer resume, but <laughs> one thing that I noticed about your background is you actually funded your own company called Cool Beans. You know, it manufactures healthy, all-natural hummus, Whole Foods markets, organic groceries, stock your food. In your four years at the helm of that company, like, what are you most proud of having accomplished? Well, it was a, honestly a lot of fun to, to launch a brand like that and to kind of create a product. Um, I actually founded the business uh, with my brother. Uh, so oh, working nice. with him personally, that was, you know, maybe the best part of, of it all. Um, but I will say being able to kind of fight our way onto the shelves of Whole Foods, I mean, the badge value of saying, hey, we are in hundreds of Whole Foods locations kind of across the country. There's like a legitimacy to that. Uh, you know, your mom and dad, when they're saying, oh, well, what does your son do? Oh, oh, he sells something at Whole Foods. People actually know what that is. Um, and so, and that was a lot of hard work. And, you know, we chased a lot of executives there to get in front of them to then get slotting you know, at the store. And so I, I I think that probably was our, you know, from a business point of view, our best achievement. That's a tough business from what I understand, right? That's a kind of a really cutthroat to get the floor space, right? It is incredibly competitive because at, even like a Whole Foods, they probably have anywhere between 30 and 50,000 SKUs in a, in a location. They probably have multiple competitive options within your own category, um, you know, you're not making lots of money on any individual unit, right? I mean, you're talking, you know, even with good margins, a buck or two, you know, so you have to have high velocity and if it doesn't move, they won't keep it on the shelves. So there's a, just a, so much that goes into it, um, to, to make it successful at the shelf level. Um, and so it, yeah, it's awfully competitive and hard. I, I love that kind of background and context, right? Because you're a world-class marketer. And I find that with marketing, there's so many kind of misconceptions. But I, I, you know, my personal experience working with marketers, there's a lot more in common with like almost like a finance or like a very technical, very like nuts and bolts um, figures. Like how does one kind of gain those like technical skills or that business acumen to, to succeed in your role? Yeah, I think marketing uh, more and more is getting quantitative uh, in right. nature. Um, and I, I I think there's two parts to that, right? There is a financial component, right? Marketing 
tends to have budget for media and other uh, investments. And so, of course, you have to partner closely with finance and you have to do budgeting and financial planning and, you know, kind of reconciliation at the end of a month or quarter, right? So you have to be numerate just to, just to handle the P&L. But then I think that, you know, the digital environments and the, and the your website or your mobile app, whatever it might be, throws off so much data uh, that you have to be able to organize it and analyze it and try to find insights into it so that you can build uh, better performance uh, over time. I think it is important to acknowledge, though, that depending on how you conceptualize, say, a marketing function at a company, there can be really two parts to it, right? There could be kind of the, the hard numbers-based growth side, right, which is we need to go acquire companies and build revenue. And then there can be the softer storytelling side, and that's that's maybe more where brand skills would sit, designers, copy, photographers, editors, and the two have to live together, um, but they can have very different backgrounds and very different skill sets. And sometimes you have to figure out how to manage that all. In your experience, do you find it difficult to hire kind of that like performance, that quantitative heavy side of marketing? Well, I look for something very specific. I've been doing this a while now and I've hired hundreds of people. Um, I so it, it is hard. Um, and sometimes performance can be at conflict with brand um, because, you know, sometimes what get, draws a click or a conversion event may not necessarily be on brand. It may be salesy. It may lack certain maybe design, you know, finesse, um, but it works. It's effective. Um, so I do look for, you know, quantitative skills. I look for, you know, my current VP of growth, you know, has a statistics background. You know, she's incredibly analytical um, and that's really helpful. Or I might look at previous places you've been in. And if I know that while they take a quantitative approach as well, that's really helpful. Um, I almost always have some kind of an exam as part of an interview process, like nothing crazy, but like a little take home Excel that, you know, can demonstrate that you have some fluency in managing the software and can, you can do the analysis. Um, so do the best we can to kind of find those um, examples within someone's candidacy. Um, and then, of course, there's a part of me that I also have to train them up. You know, they're not going to have everything on day one. And I think if we have the right culture on the team. Uh, and really commit to a successful onboarding, you can try to shore up any gaps or weaknesses. Now, I mean, with, with you like more than a decade in like marketing leadership experience, like, is there a reason someone should not get into marketing? Um, I love it personally. I mean, the, the reason I got <laughs> into it in the first place is especially marketing in the consumer environment is I think it's fun to be maybe that little source of joy during the day for an individual, right? Like I just, that's a fun concept for me. Um, and I just, I kind of shied away from maybe banking or uh, consulting these days. All tech is also part of that maybe more traditional mix um, because I wanted to do something that had a positive impact on the individual. Um, you know, where marketing can be tricky is, and, and, you know, just something to think about is, is marketing valued at that company? You know, what is really the core competency of that company? And a lot of times it will look like a marketing company, but it's really an operations company and or an engineering company, right? And so you just have to make sure that if you're going to be in marketing at a company that has core competencies that are not yours, that you're comfortable that 
you may not have the same influence on outcomes um, or other stakeholders may be making the decision, even if you're trying to influence it. And so that would be one, one thing to think about. The other thing to think about, and we live in tough times, is that sometimes marketing is the first, one of the first places you go if you need to reduce headcount or pare back budgets, right? Because we spend money to make money. Um, and so you, you got to be able to kind of tough that out. You know, and that's not always easy if you have to, if you're going through a downturn and you have to kind of tighten the purse strings, you know, that's hard and not everyone will want to do that. You know, that always surprises me because, you know, over the last, what, uh, since the last quarter or so of 2022 and into now, yeah, I've seen that recruiters, marketers, sales, but from my perspective, like if you let go of the marketing people and the sales people, well, <laughs> Then, then you're really not bringing in new clients, new customers. So it's, am I missing something with that? It just, in, from the outside perspective, you know what I mean? You're inside, I'm from the outside. Like, it just didn't make sense when I would start looking to see, you know, on LinkedIn, when you see the, you know, open to work, you know, banners and saying, hey, I lost my job. Yeah, lots of those, lots of marketer sales recruiters. No, I, I see the world the same way. I, I think in the short term, even if it, makes your financial statements look a little bit better, you're then going to actually slow down growth in the future, right? Because by the time you say, okay, look, things have stabilized, let's bring the marketers back. You got to get them, you got to onboard them. It takes time to have impact. So you're actually, you know, maybe fine in the first next 90 days, your p looks a little bit better, but I give me two quarters, give me three quarters. I think you're going to see slower growth. I think the misconception here is some marketing teams can be inefficient. Right. So if you are burning cash on customer acquisition, then sure, like you probably don't have the right people leading that team or you don't have the right work design on that team. But if your marketing is efficient, right, uh, you know, you're inside of margin, maybe on your first sale or your payback period is relatively small, then yeah, I would say that the marketing team is not putting the organization at risk of burning cash. Um, and that may not be the most prudent place to go to, you know, scale back budgets, reduce headcount. So I think it depends on how the team is run and the KPIs that are important to the business. Yeah, I, I always found the dynamics of marketing quite interesting, right? On, on that note, a lot of growth methods or a lot of the performance tactics are online, they're dynamic, they're auction-based. And when you see competitors pulling out their marketing budget, you know, maybe it's because I'm not a marketer, but that seems like the perfect time to like spend, right? Because it's maybe cheaper or might be more efficient when everyone's kind of scared. Yeah. I mean, when you reduce competition, it's certainly helpful, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so on Google, on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Like I love it when words don't cost as much, <laughs> you know, and these can be very competitive categories. And so you're right. I mean, that is, that is true. Um, and so any, and you see, and you can see that, you know, when competition kind of steps back, you do see, okay, we've now liberated some search terms or inventory access. Um, and so I agree with you. I think that's when you then press your advantage. Um, and, you know, that's what we even are doing today. Like I'm right now, this is a great time of year, say for healthcare, because a lot of times in the beginning of the year, you have benefit renewal, people get into healthy habits, they go, they go see their doctors again. 
now is the time to invest. Even though everyone would say everyone's pulling back, I would say, depending on your category, now's the time you actually should be uh, putting the pedal to the metal and then maybe scale back a little bit later. So I, I, I think you're right. It's a competitive advantage if you can do that. And speaking of healthcare, would you like to maybe share a little bit about your new venture that you're, that you're, you're doing and that you want to talk to the audience about? Sure. So uh, 10 launched in technically October uh, of 2019 with our first location uh, in New York City. Uh, and we kind of had the audacious idea that we want to fundamentally transform what it means to go to the dentist. Um, we had done a tremendous amount of research uh, that basically says everybody goes to the dentist very few people are enjoying it. The NPS of dental is one, which is very low. Um, right. And we kind of said, well, why is that? You know, what, what, what is unpleasant about this experience? Everything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's some truth to that actually um, and how we built 10 as a result. But the big, the big, big, big thing was that we learned our big insight was that people feel judged. And I think probably everyone has heard some version of this, like, ooh, red wine? Do you drink some red wine? Oh, oh, are you flossing? It doesn't maybe look like you're flossing enough. Oh, that tooth doesn't look so good. And you're kind of put in an awkward position. You're in the chair. You're kind of being made to feel judged and that you're not doing enough and you need treatment. And so we said, well, what if we, there's no judgment intent? And in order to do that, what can, how do we do that? And so we decided to build a hospitality brand in dental. And to do that, we examined every detail, the locations, all the materials. Let me build these things out. Sights, sounds, smells, like it's, you know, highly personalized. Um, we use a lot of digital and technology. It's a very modern experience. Like there's no paper in any of our locations, right? I mean, we want this thing to be, you know, a really great digital and physical hybrid experience. Um, and it's been great. I mean, it, it turned out that people were craving that actually from this part of healthcare um, because our NPS, I can't share it, unfortunately, is sky high compared to the category. Demand for our appointments, uh, it, thank gosh, it's very strong. Um, and it's consistently we see it in the feedback, you know, that like I'd stop going. I was afraid to go. I had stress and people would cry when they would go. And now they found an alternative. And, and that's really important because if you want to have healthy uh, oral health, basically going is really important. And if we said the expression, look forward to the dentist, I mean, people laughed at us when we said that. And that's exactly what people say back to us. Like, I now look forward to going to the dentist. And so that's been really cool to see how the experience of everything uh, in every little detail has made such an enormous impact with the, what we call the members um, and in the marketplace. One thing that I love looking at your kind of career is that there seems to be this kind of like arc or like this kind of trend line or storyline in terms of like, oh, I'm just going to spend my life really focused on like solving real problems and like making people's lives better, right? In a tangible way. Like how can I get people to live healthier lives, right? And healthfulness just gets a bad rap sometimes, right? It, it's like unattainable or it's too difficult yeah. or it's too costly. Yeah. Like what is that marketing challenge involved in, you know, to put it plainly, like getting people to do something that they don't necessarily want to do? Well, I, 
two in a row because <laughs> getting people to cook is not easy. Right. <laughs> go to the dentist is not easy. So at HelloFresh, uh, you know, there were some people that all cooking in America is dead and no one wants to cook ever again. And I love cooking. Like I grew up in a house where we ate dinner together six nights a week. And the one night we didn't eat dinner was Saturday night because my parents went on a date every Saturday and they've been married for 55 years. So there's something to cooking and being home and taking time to like be with your loved ones. Um, and we did the best we could to help, right? Like we would do the recipe cards and we'd simplify things and use words that people understood. And we didn't make it chefy. And like, we tried to make it convenient for the individual um, because it is hard. There is work to chopping and you got to clean the pans when they're done. And it's not the most fun we did everything we could to help the home cook um and it was real food and it was balanced you know you could feel good about it and we heard wonderful stories of people saying you know you helped my child get grow in confidence because they could do your meals and then they got better at school and you know th this is how you know you saved my marriage because we took three nights a week to cook together i mean the, the feedback was just i mean tear inducing um but i knew that i knew food has that kind of power um, but we had to do our best to make it exciting. And we redid the logo and the brand and, you know, did cool partnerships. I mean, right. As I was leaving, they partnered with Jessica Alba. I mean, like, let's make it fun, you know, like, let's make this something where you're proud to, to do it. Um, I didn't expect that in dental, to be honest, um, because I kind of thought of it as like your annual service and you just kind of have to go. And that's kind of what the ADA, the American Dental Association tells you to do. Please go twice a year. And your mom took you when you were younger and it just, it's a chore, right? Like, right. You just kind of check the box. And again, we just blew it up, you know, and said, let's go build a huge, beautiful brand and let's change everything about what it means to go. Um, I thought that was cool. And what I didn't expect though, was these stories of people telling me that like, they, they just stopped going because they had such a traumatic experience or, it stresses them out so much that they can't do that to themselves. You know, they can't, they just can't go because it just stresses them out. And then they went and found 10 and they said it just fundamentally transformed what it meant to go. And, you know, they, they take better care of themselves. And, you know, we had one example where someone went and, you know, was really nervous before they went and we did everything we could to calm this person down. They had a really lovely experience. And the next day they brought, we call them studios. They brought the studio location donuts just to say thank you for a great experience, you know? And I think when you have two genuine brands trying to do the right thing, trying to really start with the consumer and work backwards um, and you get it right, you do start to see higher levels of participation. How do you create that brand, right? Because there are certain aspirational brands that I think we all can name off the top of my, our heads, right? Like, Apple is one where they, they just seems to like get marketing and, and be really like brand focused, right? You've done it now twice, three times. Like how do you build that from scratch and make it stick? Well, I think you have to start by believing in it, right? I, I think you actually have to say, wow, brand matters, right? Like for some companies it doesn't, you know, and that's okay. You may offer a great service, you know, or it doesn't, your utility company, you don't really need it, right? You know? Like there are just certain things where you're like, it almost doesn't matter what your NPS is. Um, but I think if you're 
care about brand and it's just part of the founding logic of a, of a business that really matters. Um, it's awfully hard to fabricate it, you know, because people pick up on that. They, they know when it's an inauthentic uh, brand. Um, if you work in consumer, I mean, you really have to care about the consumer, right? And you have to start with the consumer and understand his or her need state. And are you, are you doing something to address it? You have to be willing to accept feedback. You know, brands don't stay the same forever. And your consumer, it's a very vocal consumer, will tell you exactly what they like and dislike about your brand. Because the brand is the totality of the experience, right? It's every interaction. It's not just the product or the service, you know? Because guess what? You're going to get it wrong every once in a while. And when you do, someone's going to call up customer care. Well, that's a brand moment too, you know? And is the staff well-trained? And do they have empathy? And can they get to a resolution for you? So I think if, if you don't have those kind of components and that ethos, it's very hard to then have a breakthrough brand. Um, and I think the organization has to align behind that. That's really important. And so is it down to how you hire your team members? Like, do, do they have to kind of know the brand or get on board before they even, you know? You know at 10, what's been fun is we've hired patients, actually. People were like, I go. Oh. You know, I love it. Like, they were living it already. I mean, that's, to me, amazing. Same thing with HelloFresh, people who were getting the boxes every week and cooking the meals. And I mean, when you're when you're in an interview and you're talking about like, oh, did you like the chicken dish from last week? Like, this person's in, you know, or oh, I just right. want to get my cleaning. Like, this person's in, you know, like something about the brand connected with them. So I love you know, when that, when that happens, because I believe in marketing, you have to have your hands on the product or service. You just, you have to go yourself and try to see it from the consumer's uh, point of view. Um, but I look for that. I, I try to sense like, is this person enthusiastic about the brand? Do they, do they have a strong point of view on the business itself? You know, they may, doesn't mean you have to be positive, but you know, you may have critical feedback as well. So I just, I, I really do try to assess the level of engagement um, and I will look at the track record of the individual and like, where have they been and, you know, what other kind of examples are out there. Um, but I, I think it's really important that they live it. You've, you've kind of given us a sneak peek already in terms of like what the culture is like, but can you share kind of more behind the curtain? Like what is the day-to-day -day like at 10? You know, when everyone's so focused on like, how do we make dentistry like not suck, right? <laughs> and like, how does that kind of like bleed through into all the roles that they're doing from marketer to recruiter to HR engineering? Well, I, I firmly believe that you don't join, you know, an early stage, potentially disruptive, high scale potential company to not want to have impact, you know? And so- I think what's important in early stage is that you create a culture of impact, of doing. Um, and so I think our, our culture is such that we give you lots of room to go do your thing across any part of the organization because you can't micromanage and everybody wants to have that impact and say, hey, look, I, I did that project. That's, you know, I'm accountable for that. I changed the trajectory of the company in a positive way. Um, and so it's it's a fun, fast-paced culture. Um, you know, the music on, it's an open floor plan, you know, in our New York hub. Uh, um, you know, it's 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 youthful and energetic. I mean, people are having fun. Um, and a lot of these roles, you end up having to, you know, have cross-functional teams and projects. And so 
you just got to kind of work together. And I think, you know, people are saying, you know, at first they're like, huh, dental. But then when they realize this is multi-site and the technology that we're building and some of the stuff that we're doing, they see how this is having a larger impact than that. And that's, that's very encouraging. Um, and so I think that's what people like. They want to go and know they're making a difference. I, I like that kind of focus on impact just because it, it seems like such a nebulous word, right? Where I, I think the kind of common answer or the common kind of assumption is, oh, well, I, I can go work at Google or Meta and you have impact because they like literally a billion people touch it, right? Or, you know, my mom knows what Google is, right? Right, right, right. And, and, and I think, well, well no, like I, I find that at a startup or an earlier stage company, right, where you have that flexibility, that autonomy that you you might not necessarily get at one of these like larger companies. And, you know, especially at the stage of economy where a lot of people still have the choice to kind of find another job or even move industries. Um, this might be a good career move for, for, for people to make. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I've, you know, this is, this is actually the bigger thing to tease out in hiring. Uh, is that some people say they want to go early stage, right? And early stage is rough, it's rugged, right? You you don't have super well put together organizations. You may not have product market fit. Uh, unit economics may not be sorted out. Uh, you know, it's not. It's never linear up and to the right. It doesn't go like that. It goes up. It goes down. Um, and so some people say they, they that's what they want, right? Because on Friday nights when they're at the bar and they say, "Oh, I work at XYZ startup," everyone's like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Like, I wish I could do that. And that's fun for some people. But then they get to Monday and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a lack of structure. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the KPIs are. My project just got shut down because we pivoted, right? I mean, that's that's what this environment is. Um, and they don't like it. And they would prefer to be at a bigger, bigger company. And that's, that's great, you know, where there's stability and, hey, last year we did it this way, so we're going to do it again this year. Um, but then there are those people that seek it out. You know, they 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 don't want to go work at PepsiCo and every two years get a promotion and 25 years from now have a parking spot in their name. They're ambitious and impatient and want to have impact. And they love the uncertainty and the lack of structure of it all because they can then bring certainty and structure to it. And I've seen those people thrive and they get going faster. You know, you can get promoted faster. You know, how do you end up as a VP and you're not even 30? It's like, well, you went and you demonstrated that you know how to grow a business. Um, and so those are the, that's the person you're trying to find. Um, not just the people that are like, well, that'd be cool to work there, but I don't really like it. So that's, that's to me, like a big tension in, in these processes. Now, now, is that kind of like craziness or, or kookiness for, for seeking those kind of adventures out? Like, someone or a profile that you would really like benefit from considering working at Tend over some other company? Yeah, I mean, one, I, I always say like, no hire is better than bad hire. Like I'll let a role stay open for a really long time and a good hire can be absolutely transformative. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is I love incredibly smart people, hardworking, but you're a good person. Because I also say how you work is much more important than the work itself. You know, if we're gonna do this for a lot of hours every week, we away from family and our kids and loved ones, and you know, we better have some fun doing this. 
Um, and so I, I, I do try to, to figure that out. I'm not the sole person interviewing, you know, there'll be three or four other people and try to have a range of personalities to assess, you know, fit to role, fit to team. Um, it's really important, you know, and, and if there is something, you know, in an interview or part of the process that, you know, your spidey sense starts to get activated, you know, you may take a pause on a candidate um, because of that. Cause I, I just, a bad hire can really be detrimental to a team or a culture. I, I really appreciate that kind of luck, right? Because I think it, it can be very difficult to kind of suss out what it's like to work at a company, right? From the interview. And I think a lot of users on Brewind, you know, they kind of think of like kind of the marquee things like, oh, like, is the product cool? Is Do I get that rep or do I get like a huge total compensation package, right? And I, I think it's very easy to get caught up in that race and realize like, oh, no, I'm actually interviewing the company just right. as much as they are interviewing me, right? And it's a kind of two-way assessment there. So I, I agree with that spot on. I, I say to candidates all the time, I kind of set up the interview in a very specific way. I say, hey, look, that this is, we're not just going to go through your resume. I want this to be a two-way conversation. You know, this is, yes, we want to get to know you better, but please, you get to know us because this is a big decision, you know, on both sides. Um, and I say, you know, I'll give you a little bit about myself and the company. So you have like the full context. So that way, maybe your answers can be informed. Uh, by that. And I, I never asked for the walk through the resume. I just, what, what, what do you want? What should I know about you? You know, like what's interesting. And, um, and so we, you know, we kind of go that way, you know, with it. And I, I do try to get a sense of that. I ask questions anytime you want, right? Like, let's see what, what's on top of their mind. Um, and so I think that that's important to be clear and direct and to, to try to do that um, because it is truly two ways. It really, it really is. And, you know, it shouldn't just be us talking at you. That That's not going to be very constructive. Are, are there any, like, questions that people have asked during the interview process that, you know, you've been particularly struck by or that have impressed you? You know, I think when people ask questions that demonstrate they really understand the business model, you know, it's not just like, oh, like, what are the cultural expectations or do you use Salesforce or, you know, how's your approach to Google analytics? Like that's less interesting to me because like it took me a bit to transition from meal kits to uh, healthcare and healthcare is different. And there are some different rules and expectations. And I don't, th I think I underappreciated the challenge at first because I was like, ah, oh, you can, run the playbook for meal kits. Well, it's a slightly different playbook. And so asking the questions about the business, really understanding the business model, um, to me, that demonstrates the person is, is actually quite curious about the company. And I think curiosity is, is really important because it, it will eventually lead to tenacity, right? I think tenacity is a really important quality at early stage businesses. But you got to start with being curious, right? Like, what's going on? Like, why is something happening? Can I do something about it? I want to do something about it, right? So um, I, I do love those questions that are like a little bit more probing on the business um, because I try really hard on the team to kind of show the whole picture at the company 
And if you're on one of my teams, you're going to get a lot of business information, right? I, I share the financial result. I talk about org design. I where What's our roadmap? Where are we going next? I think that's really important. And I want people that kind of can demonstrate that in, a, in an interview process. No, I, I, I think that's a great thing to add, right? Because oftentimes I, I feel like candidates, they're, they're almost embarrassed or anxious when they're asking questions, right? They don't know like, oh, is this appropriate? Or, or oh, maybe the guy just won't tell me anyway, or this is probably proprietary or confidential. And so they're just gonna BS me. Uh, but but that intellectual curiosity is is actually quite beneficial. I think so. And, you know, it's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know, like, if you don't ask, then you'll never know. And it's, you know, it's kind of on you a little bit, right. Um, and I think people are changing, like there was someone on my team who relocated to California, her husband got into a very prestigious residency program. And, you know, life got in the way. And she, she was awesome on the team. She was one of the founding team members and was like a rock star at the business. Um, and I told her, I was like, you got to ask really sharp questions about compensation, ask them about their funding, ask them about their runway, their profitability, right? Things that like you can't get online, right? I, I can't answer those questions like, you know, through AI or some other, you know, <laughs> uh, a, you know, online resource. And so you got to start to like understand like what what's their plan, you know, because this is my life and my job. Like, and I think a lot of from the outside in, it always looks pretty good. That's not always the case, you know, and I, I think a savvy person has the right to ask those questions. Now, I, I, I want to figure out, like, is there one bit of career advice that you often find yourself giving or that you wish more people knew? You know, I think you do have to take a chance, you know, um, it's a funny story. And I was talking about it last night with my wife is that I wanted to be early stage consumer. And uh, my arc was such that I went on business school. I was working in a creative agency, actually. I was like doing some like business development type stuff there. And I just disliked every second of it. Just, it was not for me and I was miserable, but you know, early stage stuff, this was like in like 2014, like it wasn't as common as it was today. And New York tech was nothing like it is today. Um, and this is when I started to talk with HelloFresh and like, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like cooking food at home and they had a VP of marketing open. And, you know, I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for, quite frankly. Um, and I re remember talking to my wife about it because we were a few months away from getting married. And I was like, I think I might change jobs. And she was like, who's HelloFresh? And why wouldn't you just go work at Blue Apron? And I was like, well, they're not giving out a job. And this is the one I have. And, you know, I get it. We were nothing then. Nobody knew us. And we were a very distant third. And we were much younger uh, organization. Um, and I went and it was hard because, you know, yeah, we're kind of like those guys. But by being in a category I cared about, with a product that I really liked, but at a company that was not necessarily the obvious candidate to win the category. That changed my career, you know, wow. and, and we did a great job there and we built it up to something big and, and beautiful. And I got tons of experience. I mean, we ended up with like well over hundred people in the department and a couple hundred million dollars in ad spend. And we tried everything and they, I, they kept giving me more and more responsibility, build a sales unit, you know, build a creative agency internally, like all this stuff. 
Um, and that was really helpful. And I was okay if it failed. Like if after six months, either I stunk <laughs> or the company stunk, it was okay. And I, I was early enough in, in my career where I could, I could do that. But that's, that was a game changer for me. Brilliant. I, 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 I think that's a, a quite a good lesson, right? Just be willing to take the chances. I, I think my, like early on, my, my father gave me this advice because, you know, I, I made a career switch from working in politics and lobbying to working into tech and, and, and getting into public affairs and, and PR and communications. And uh, I asked my dad, like, oh, should I do this? Right. You know, I, I studied politics, loved it. There's an obvious track to, to go on if you want to succeed in that industry in politics. And my dad said, that, hey, you're like, you're young, in your 20s, it's, it's all about learning, right? Like, mm -hmm. try to find the rocket ship, try to, like, do something new. Like, if that means, like, moving across the country or moving to another country, do it while, you know, those kind of stakes are low, right? Where you don't have a family yet and everyone's equally as broke as you are, so there's no difference, right? And wait till your 30s, and your 30s are for earnings, he would say, right? And say... Uh, by then you'll have figured it out and you can just go really deep and like build that T-shape. Uh, yeah, I think the, the collection of experiences is really uh, important. And how do I know that is like, I, so I really did not like working at a creative agency and it's not what I saw for myself long-term, but you know, got to pay the bills, got to keep moving forward. Right. In hindsight though, it was terrific. It was, it's actually pivotal to kind of how I run marketing teams now, because inevitably marketing, you're going to work with agencies. It could be a media agency, creative agency, PR, like there's just a multitude of agencies. The ability, the fact that I can look across the table at an agency partner and say, I've been in your shoes before. I understand the skills that your agency has, the personnel, the unit economics, like how you do billing, that you hate when clients on a Friday afternoon ask you to, do, to get something done that day or first thing Monday or ruin a holiday. And it gave me a lot of street cred, you know, you know, and I think how we manage agencies is, is appropriate uh, and good. And I think you can be firm, but fair, but I have, I can see it from their point of view as well. And so that was like, honestly, a, a blessing in disguise. Um, and so that's the collection of the experience. You never know when they're going to kind of, you're going to lean into them, right? It could be tomorrow or it could be 10 years from now, but it, it does give you kind of more range, I would say. I love that. Thank, thanks so much for uh, sharing your wisdom with us, Matt. Well, I don't know if people would uh, perceive it as wisdom, but uh, fun certainly to talk with you guys. No, you're too but biased. Thank you so much. That's it for The Blind Ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.